me as you turn. Job chapter 1, verse 1, and um, Job chapter 1 and verse 1. We'll read, well, we may read the entire chapter. We'll see. We'll just start here. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and fasted in their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out, of the, made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then arose Job and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for the scripture. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful for this book and what it teaches us about our Lord and Lord, the trials that you allow to come our way. I pray, Lord, that as I open the scripture tonight, that I would preach your word with accuracy in the way you'd have it to be preached, that it would be pleasing in your eyes. I pray that you'd give us a greater understanding of your word and as a result, a greater understanding of our God tonight. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first, this Job is the first of the poetical books. Uh, Those books are Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Lamentations. As you know, the Bible that you have is not laid out in chronological order, as you know, sometimes you might suspect, but rather by subject. And we're about to see some of those poetical books. It doesn't mean they're rhythmic or that they come in, as you and I would often think of of poetry, in the order of just uh, things rhyming, but but rather it's an example of, of, of parallelism or the way it's spoken. Uh, in other words, it might be the type of poetry where you would say, whenever you need me, wherever you need me, I will be there for you. 
like father, like son. It has that type of poetry. It's not as you and I would think of it as, as something that rhymes, but rather the way the wording is used. And you'd see it through the passage of Scripture, whether it's an account or whether it's in their conversation here in the book of Job. It unfolds in a poetical manner. As you'll see that in Proverbs and Psalms, Song of Solomon, Lamentations, all of those, those books uh, just unfolding in that manner. It doesn't mean that it's not factual. It's, it is true. Uh, this is the Word of God, and these events unfolded. Uh, the date of the book, it's believed to be the oldest book in the world. Uh, he was a historical feed, uh, figure that's referenced both in Ezekiel 14.20, where it says, Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall ne- deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by, by their righteousness. James 5.11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and tender of mercy. Uh, it was seen as a, a historical account, as something that happened. It wasn't uh, some allegory, but it, it unfolded. Uh, I like that phrase where it says of the patience of Job. How many of you ever heard the worlds say that phrase, even lost folks sometimes, the patience of Job? There's a lot of those little statements uh, that the world speaks of, not even realizing where it came from. Uh, But we see it here in this passage of Scripture. Uh, It was written more than likely, there's debate, but more than likely during the patriarchal period, uh, possibly around the time frame of Jacob. It was written before the Exodus, uh, before, really before uh, this unfolded, really before they had a copy of the law in their hand. And you can see it unfold in in this book. We see this a little bit from the length of Job's lifespan. In Job 42, 16, it says this, After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. He acted as the high priest of his family. So during the patriarchal period, this would have unfolded in Job 1.5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. So during the patriarchal period, it wouldn't have happened obviously during the time of the law as that would have happened in the tabernacle uh, there. So we see it coming from that time. Uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, was a descendant more than likely from Esau's eldest son. In Genesis 36, 10 through 11, it says, These are the names of Esau's son. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, ruled the son of Bethshemoth, the wife of Esau. And the son of Eliphaz was Teman, Omar, Zepho, and I can't pronounce the rest of them. We'll leave it there, all right? But we see it unfold here as, as the time frame would have been somewhere in the patriarchal times. It's the oldest of books. It's a poetical book. But there's incredible truths in this book. I, I think of as the story unfolds, you and I have the incredible be- benefit of having the first glimpse in the first book of the first event of what God lets us see, a little bit of what unfolded in heaven. And at the end of the book, we see God's reward for Job. But poor Job didn't have either of those. <laughs> Job didn't get to see what unfolded in heaven, and neither did his friends that came to uh, comfort him with their great words of comfort, all right? And, uh, uh, but they didn't have that advantage. Job didn't have that advantage. The ones around him didn't have that advantage. But you and I have the incredible advantage of seeing the beginning and the end of the book. And so what happens inside, we can learn from in our personal life. As we look to the reason God allows trials often in our life, the purpose of this book It gives the answer to many times to the problems of pain and disaster or sorrow and or suffering, sorrow and surrender. Uh, Some of those purposes are this. God is worthy of love, even apart 
from the blessings he bestows. We see that unfold as Job came to that conclusion, but God is worthy of our love regardless of the blessings. If we're not careful in this Christian life, we start looking for the blessings rather than the blesser. Uh, we, we, we start looking for what we can get rather than the one who gives them. And I think one of the greatest blessings of life are not the blessing God gives us in this life, but the opportunity to know the one who gives them to us. I think of where God answers prayer. One of the great blessings of answered prayer is that we can walk into his presence even before he offers us his supply. Job reminds us as we read this book, and you see it from beginning to end, that God is worthy of our love and our worship, whether we have what we think are the blessings we need in life or not. God may permit suffering as a means of purifying and strengthening us. God may permit it and uses it. James 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God has a purpose to the trials he allows us to go through, doesn't he? Conforms us to the image of his dear son. Job lets us see that. And God, and God lets us see through the life of Job that Job didn't always get it either. <laughs> Job didn't always get it either. E- even though the Lord would speak of Job and said he was a perfect and upright man. Talk about a statement from God. God who knew him best, and yet we see Job had his weaknesses as well. God's thoughts and ways are moved by considerations too vast for the mind of man to can't comprehend. God would come at the end of this book, Job, God would remind Job uh, about how great he was and that you and I don't always get to understand a great God. Uh, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, too many times we're looking for understanding rather than to just trust God. And I I believe this. I think for the Christian, uh, understanding is preceded often by trust, by faith. If you want to uh, get an understanding of God, you must first learn to trust God. And, uh, but regardless, we don't always understand it, but we do know that God loves us and cares for us and his ways are higher than our ways. And we must be, remind ourselves of that. The Lord would remind Job of that very thing towards the end of this book. The key verse, Job, or the key verse is, Job 42, 5 through 6 says this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. By now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That was Job. He repented in dust and ashes. One of the key verses. You know, when you and I speak of repentance, when we think of repentance, we all often go to the the worst of people that needed a repentance. How about Saul, Paul on the Damascus Road, uh, a persecutor. Paul himself would call himself the chiefest of sinners. Uh, We think of Manassas uh, later, King Manassas and his wickedness and what God would do later in his life. But when God teaches us about repentance, he goes to what we would call the best of men outside of Jesus on this earth. Job. God himself would describe him as a perfect and upright man. Yet Job at the end of the book would say, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Even folks that we feel are the best friend, we need repentance before God. And the Lord used what we might call the best of men to teach the importance of repentance in our life. And uh, we see that in, in this book. Some of the outline here, and I'm going to have you turn a couple places this morning but, or this evening, but how Job faced calamity in his life. The first thing God gives us a glimpse in is Job in the hands of, of Satan. Job in the hands of Satan, these first two chapters. Job had many blessings. That verse 
that verse 3 says this about him, his substance of chapter 1. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household so that the man was the greatest of all the men of the East. He had really it all. <laughs> he had it all. I even think of when he prayed for his children. He didn't pray to call his children out of sin. He prayed for them in case they had. Uh, when you look at Job, it appeared that things were in order. Uh, he had wealth. He had a wife. He had a family. And, uh, and things seemed to be in order. He was what we would say a blessed man. And if gain was godliness, then Job was godly. Job was still godly. The Lord would speak of his, of his, of his person. But God took away his wealth and bankrupted him. If you were to look at verses 13 through 16, you would see the Lord take each one of those things that were measured by wealth away from him. Crushed him with bereavement in verses 17 through 22 when he took his children from him. And Job covered, and then took his health from him in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And then finally, he was cursed with bitterness in Job 2, 9 through 13. Everything, everything. His wealth his children, his health, and finally, his wife. You would, you would think of Job, but boy, he could bear up under most things if his wife was in his corner. But you see in this chapter, she was not. Curse God and die is what she told him. If you would, it would look like God touched every aspect of Job's life. Really, he allowed Satan to touch every aspect of Job's life. The amazing thing is, if you come to verse 13 of chapter, or if you come down to verse 10, verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God, and what? Die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Satan loses. Satan loses in that verse. He refuses in the first chapter and he refuses in this verse to curse his God. Even when his wife calls on him to curse God and dies, Satan, Job refuses. I picture heaven watching these events unfold under earth as Satan appears before the Lord and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And uh, of course, Satan, again, as we read, well, he would curse you if you didn't bless him the way you blessed him. And God says, well, I'll prove you wrong, Satan. And he pulls back his hand of protection and lets Satan take his, his wealth and his family and uh, all of those things. And finally, his health and his wife would curse him. And yet Job refused to sin against God. Satan lost. Satan lost. God let Satan do his work and yet Job refused. I, I, I pray that the testimony of our life is that Satan loses when he works in our life. I think of that verse, to be sober, be vigilant, because of our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. Yet in this passage of scripture, we see that Job's testimony in his life proves something that God was right and Satan was wrong. But then something else happens, and this unfolds for the, most, the majority of this book, Job in the hands of men. If you read the bulk of this book from chapter 3 through verse 31, you see Job sitting down with his Four friends, four friends. 
And uh, we see them. We see Job's critics. We see Eliphaz. And Eliphaz was a man of experiences. He liked, if you read about what his statements in this book, he, he liked to talk about spirits and visions. If you had not had his experience, then evidently you missed out on your spiritual life, or so he thought. Eliphaz would suggest that Job must have been a great sinner. He would suggest that otherwise these things would not have happened to him. Skip ahead to Job's chapter 4. And look at verse 3 there, Job chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, uh, Eliphaz would say this, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. And then if you skip down to verse 5, But now it is come upon thee, and thou faintest. It touches thee, and thou art troubled. Look at verse 7 and 8. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perisheth being innocent, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Job, there must be sin in your life. Chapter 5 and verse 17. Skip ahead and look at there in 5 and 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Here's this good friend of his, Job. You must have sin in your life. That must be why these things are happening why don't you rejoice in the correction of God? There's somewhat truth, a little bit, a little bit of truth, right? God, God chastens his own, and we are thankful for that. But, but here this, this supposed comforter would come to him and say, you must have some sin in your life. You must have some sin in your life. That's why this has happened. And I, I do think there's validity to looking to our own life and examining what under the, the microscope of a trial. But, but this man was a, was a little bit of a sorry comforter, wasn't he? Uh, rejoice in what you're going through because God is correcting you, probably correcting you. Bildad, the man of those clever cliches, if you look down, he was the second to speak. Go to Job chapter 8. Go to, Job, to Abe, Job, uh, Job chapter 8 and verse 3. Bildad was, uh, Elphaz merely suggested that Job must have sinned. Bildad supposed that Job was a sinner. He tried and convicted him in his own mind. And in Job chapter 8 and verse 3, uh, we see this. He said this, Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If you skip down to verse 6, If thou wert pure and upright, surely now he would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Look at verse 11 through 13. Can the rush grow up without mire? Can the flag grow without water? Whilst it is yet in his greenness and not cut down, it is withered before any other herb. So are the paths of all that forget God, and the hypocrite's hope shall perish whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a spider's web. Here we see Bildad essentially say, Job, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You've been out there preaching righteousness. You've been saying all these things. And yet now who you are has truly been exposed. You're a sinner and God's come to judge. And uh, we see that, that here as he would often give his little proverbs in the various places. But he would look at Job and say, you are a hypocrite. Poor comfort. Zophar, the man with a made-up mind, if you skip ahead a little bit here again and you go to Job chapter 11, you'd see his other friend in Job chapter 11, verse 5. If you go there, he, uh, he figured he had a monopoly on knowing God's will. In Job chapter 11 and verse 5, it says, But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Boy, talk about a harsh statement. 
Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Here he would look at him and say, you deserve to lose your, your children. You deserve to lose your wealth. You deserve to lose all of these things. As a matter of fact, you deserve a whole lot more. Talk about a friend. Now, how would you appreciate that? All right. But talk about some, some sorry, sorry comforters here in this passage of Scripture. But we see it here as he would respond this way. And then you'd see in this book the way Job responded. Look at Job 13, verses 4 through 5. Job 13, 4 through 5, it says this. But ye are forgers of lies, ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would all together hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. Job got mad, didn't he? Job got mad. But ye are forgers of lies, ye are physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would all together hold your peace and it should be your wisdom. It's like Job said, you know, if you guys were quiet, someone might mistake you for wise people. <laughs> but you keep opening your mouth. <laughs> he was angry. He was angry. And uh, he grew angry with them. And, and, and you would see this unfold on multiple occasions, his anger with them. He said, just keep your mouths up. Job 30, if you skip ahead to Job's chapter 30 and verse 1 and look at what he says here in Job chapter 30 and verse 1. I, I sympathize with him a little bit. Job chapter 30 and verse 1, he said this, But now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to have set with the dogs of my flock. <laughs> here he said, you fellas, you guys are sorry fellas. He said, I wouldn't have put you in the kennels in my, with my dogs. He was angry. I, I sympathize with him a little bit. But, but you know what happened here? In the hands of Satan... In the hands of Satan, Satan couldn't win. But in the hands of man, they sure pulled something outside of Job, didn't they? They squeezed it out. You know, surely, I think of the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaketh. What Satan couldn't squeeze out of Job, the man, man squeezed out of Job. Man squeezed it out. Think how true that is can be in our life. God was going to work on Job. Job needed some repentance. And you would see at the end of this book, Job's repentance would come. Satan couldn't get it from him. But when God turned it over to man, finally what others thought of him pulled it out of him. How true that can be in our life. Trials can come our way and we endure and we hold. But then people say something, people do something. People start going on, and what happens? <laughs> What's in the inside sure begins to pop out of us. And we see that in the life of Job. God would call Job here later to this matter of repentance, but he would respond at times with anger. But he didn't always respond with anger. He also at times responded with great faith in the Lord. Well, he, before that, he would respond with a little bit of self-righteousness. If you go to Job 30, verse 21, look here at Job 30, 21. He says in verse 21, Thou art become cruel to me with thy strong hand. Thou opposest thyself against me. And then if you, uh, the verse, uh, verse continue there, it says, Thou liftest up the wind, and thou causest me to ride upon it, and dissolvest my substance. For I know that thou wilt bring me to... Oh, I think I have the wrong... Verse 30, verse... Um, Verse 21, and then skip down just a little bit. There's another verse I want to give you. Um, I may have lost my reference here. 
Well, he says, if you go to just verse 21, we'll end it. Thou art become cruel to me. There's another verse when it would come down and he would highlight uh, how good he had been to God or how he had cared for, I won't reread the rest of the chapter, but he would talk about how he cared for those that had nothing, yet God was cruel to him. And he compared himself to God and said, God, you've been hard on me when I have been merciful to others. And he demonstrated a self-righteous spirit in himself. I think how easy that is to become in our own life that we look around and say, Lord, look how good I have been. And yet, Lord, look what you have allowed into my life. And that was Job. Lord, I've been faithful. I've done what I should have been. I've been good. And yet now look what you're doing to me. And he would demonstrate that in his life. Other times, Job would show great faith. If you go to Job chapter 28 and verse 23, look at these verses here in Job 28 and verse 23. He says this, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. Job 19, if you go back even further to Job chapter 19 and verse 23, I'll read it for you quickly. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. They that were graven with an iron pen and laid in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Talk about a statement of faith. The resurrection spoken of well before even the law was written. And he said that statement. He said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this flesh, yet in my flesh shall I see God. When my body's rotten in the ground, I'm still going to see my Jesus. If you read the, life, uh, read the story of Job, you see him go back and forth. And I, I tell you what, if you don't read the story and can't see yourself a little bit in Job, <laughs> you look at Job's life, I can understand his anger. <laughs> I wouldn't have let your fathers take care of my dogs. <laughs> I can understand it. You can see it as, as the miserable comfortables they were, but then you'd see God just allowing, though Satan couldn't get him out of him, the men around him could get it out of it and squeezed out of Job. Job had some inward problems that had to be dealt with. And God would deal with those various things. God would give Job a comforter, a little bit of a comforter, not the greatest, but if Job uh, chapters 32 through 37, you'd see Elihu come on the scene and Job would ask for a daysman and in Job's 33, 6, it says, Behold, I am according to, the, to thy wish in God's stead. I am also formed out of the clay. Elihu tried to come along and be the mediator between Job and God and his friends. And uh, he tried. It was a little bit of a glimpse about the Lord Jesus Christ, though no man does a very good picture of that. How Job faced conviction. Uh, How Job was rebuked. Skip ahead to Job 38 and look at the Lord's rebuke of Job. Job chapter 38. In Job 38, the Lord would begin to rebuke Job. Verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundation of the earth? Declare it, if thou hast understanding. Verse 12, hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? Verse 31, he would say this, canst thou bind the sweet influence of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? In verse 27, he would say this, he'd said, to satisfy the desolate waste ground to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. Job 39, 27, uh, he would say, Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? God would look at Job and say, Job, do you have anything to do with any of those things? Job, if you can't even understand all the material things of this life, 
Where in the world do you think you're ever going to understand the spiritual things of God completely? You can't wrap your mind around who God is. And the Lord remind Job of that. And uh, one of his frustrations was Job thought he had it figured out, and God reminded Job he did not. Job, you don't have it figured out. You're not all that you think you are. And, uh, and God would rebuke him with it. How Job found release in this book, Job 42. Go ahead and skip ahead to Job 42, verse 5. Job 42 and verse 5 and verse 6. The verses, uh, it says in verse 5 of Job 42, it says, I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. This is Job speaking to the Lord. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job repented. In 42.10, he would say this, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job repented and he forgave, and that's when God turned away his captivity. He repented, first of all. You know, friends, sometimes there's there's a need for a good dose of repentance in our life. Unless you think you are too good to need it, then look to Job, a man who was perfect and upright right, and eschewed evil. And yet God looked at him and said, Job, you've got something to fix. Satan may not be able to squeeze it out of you, but the behavior of men around you will squeeze it out of you. And 30-some chapters, or almost 30 chapters of his friends running him down <laughs> rather than encouraging him would bring it right out of Job. His heart wasn't where it should have been. And God would call him to repentance. Search me, O God, and know me. And then forgiveness. He forgave and he prayed for his friends. And that's when God brought him out of his captivity and out of his harm. Friend, bitterness, the root of bitterness, recommends life and remove God's blessing. Recommends life and remove God's blessing. And God took it out of it, out of Job. Then we see this, how he was rewarded. I won't reread all the chapters, but God gave him at the end of verse 10. It says, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He gave him twice the riches he had before. The only thing we don't see here is God giving him twice as many children. There's a good reason for that. Probably number one, Job would have been overwhelmed, all right? But number two, God didn't need to replace them because they were in glory with him. They were in glory with him. Job didn't necessarily lose them. He lost them in this life, but a soul is an eternal When Job entered into glory, he entered back into the presence of his children. And when his children would come unto him, he would have twice as many children there in glory. A picture of the resurrection. Once again, Job knew when his flesh lied rotting in the grounds, God was faithful and he would see his redeemer. He had no need for that because he would walk into their presence one day. And so we see the message, and I'm going to go quickly here. Character counts with God. Letter A, character counts with God. I won't reread the, cha- the verses, but in Job chapter 1 and verse 1 and 6 through 8, God would speak of Job. He was a perfect and upright man who skewed evil and feared God. You know what gave God victory? I think of Matthew 5, 5 14 through 16. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Character counts with God. 
God would use Job, look at his character. Satan, look at this man. Have you walked to and fro about the earth? Have you considered my servant Job? There is a good man. And of course, Satan would speak and said, well, he'll curse you and die if you let me take from him the blessings that you've given to him. You've protected him. And so God would remove those protections and let Satan have his way. Yet Job refused to compromise his character. He refused to compromise it. And in his testimony and in his walk, he gave victory, he gained victory over Satan. Character counts with God. And uh, we live in a world in which people are trying to excuse behavior and say, well, it's all under grace. And friend, thank God it is all under grace, all right? I'm thankful that I don't have to live a certain way to stay saved or live a certain way to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer therein? Friend, we're walking in newness of life. Our testimony shows the power of God. A resurrected Savior should change the life of a sinner who's saved. The resurrected Savior, if the power of that power ought to change a man's life, character and testimony matters with God. Our lives and victory over sin are a testimony of the power of God to a world around us and the devil at odds with us. Job's life shows us this, friend, in the trial, keep your character. One of the great temptations of a trial is to lose our character, to quit in our faithfulness, to step aside in, in what God has called us to. But friend, it is in holding to our character and what God has called us to that victory is demonstrated to a lost world and a dirty devil. Maintain your character. Maintain your testimony. Character counts with God. So many times the temptation of the trial is to push those things aside and say, well, Lord, I haven't seen you faithful to me, so I won't be faithful to you. Yet in reality, God was still there. Job didn't have the benefit of seeing what unfolded in chapter 1 in heaven. He didn't have the benefit of looking ahead to seeing what God would do in the end. You and I do for a reason. So we might see a little bit behind the scenes and remain faithful to our Lord. Character counts. Confidence carries us through. Confidence carries us through. Job Job 19.23 again. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in the book. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead, and, and lead in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet my flesh shall I see God. Job 23. And I'm going to go back there and read these verses. Job 23 and verse 10 again. And verse 12. Uh, he would say this. <clears throat> But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He knoweth the way that I take. And when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. What was he doing? My confidence is in the Lord. Confidence carries us through. Confidence in God carries us through. He would say that more than is necessary food, the promises of God. Faith, hey, character counts with God, but a confidence in God and his word is what carries us through. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing 
by the word of God. Friend, it is a faith and a trust in what God, who God is, and what God has said that carries us through the trials of life. And Job's life is a testimony to it. He wouldn't give up on his God. When my body rots in the ground in my flesh, I shall see my Redeemer. I know my Redeemer liveth. I know that he works in my trial. You, his friends, you can look around at his friends, say what you will, but I know who my God is and I know what he said. It was the confidence in God that carried him through his trial. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. I think of that one of the armor of God, the, the, the shield of faith, above all, taking up the shield of faith, our confidence in the Lord, the helmet of salvation. I often think of that, Lord, keep, me, keep my mind stayed upon the Lord. Let me trust in your word and my focus on the Lord. Let me have the confidence that carries us through the trials of life. When others would laugh and others would mock, Job trusted his God. It was his character counts with God and confidence carries us through And then we see this conformity compensates or that surrender to the Lord in the end. Verse 2, verses 5 and 6. We read it already once, but we'll read it again. Job 5 and 6. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. What was it Job did? He, He repented and it paid. James 4, 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall what? Lift you up. He shall lift you up. Boy, that surrender to the Lord, it pays in the end. And we see that with Job. He repented to his God. He forgave those friends. And in the end, God gave them back and more everything that he lost. Surrender to God, repentance before God, always brings the blessings of God in our life. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Hey, draw an eye to God and he will draw an eye to you. And we see that in the life of Job. Character counts with God. In a world that tells us it doesn't, it does matter. Victory in the life of a Christian is seen in our conduct through the midst of a trial to a world. Ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us to a lost world. It matters. It matters to God. Confidence in him is what carries us through those times. We know who God is, we know our Redeemer liveth, and we know what He says, and we trust in Him in spite of the fact that we're looking around at everything that's going wrong, yet we can trust in our God. And then, friend, conformity compensates, it pays in the end. God rewards the heart and the life of a repentant man. I think of David, talk about an illustration of a man who should have gone down a long time, yet he knew how to get right with his God. Forgive me. Forgive me. Psalms 51, David's prayer of forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba. And God forgave. And repentance matters. I think when it comes to times of trial, remember, remember, these, th- remember these things here in this, this passage of Scripture. Character counts. Don't abandon ship. It's what shows Satan in the lost world that God is risen. <laughs> because his risen work is working in our life. 
And remember, it's, it's confidence in his word is what carries a man through. Because the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's never failed, and his, and his word has never been found wanting. It's always true. And I can trust him. And in the end, when I get my heart right with God, where those times are needed, when, when the circumstances of life and the things of life squeeze out of me the things I knew shouldn't have been there in the first place, repentance, friend, repentance pays with our Lord. Forgive. And God always offers it. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for this book. Lord, a book filled with a trial of one man. And Lord, not only the trial of Satan, it took just a few chapters to reveal the physical things he went through in life. But Lord, many chapters showing the trials of what others would bring into his life through their words. And yet in the end, we see that you were faithful all the way through. But I'm thankful for the first part of the book and the last part of the book that remind us that God is always working. God still sits on the throne. And I pray that regardless of the trials we go through in life, we would keep our confidence in the Lord, that we'd lean on you to keep our character right before the Lord. And Lord, when needed, when necessary, we would be quick to seek your forgiveness and repent of the things we've allowed in our life. Lord, I pray that you bless our time, the remainder of the evening. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you, how many of you could say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. That's settled for me. It's Wednesday night, but you could say, Preacher, I know that I'm saved. That's a settled thing for me. You'd raise your hand just as a testimony. Preacher, I know that I'm saved. And I believe that to be everyone. But is there anybody here tonight say, Preacher, I'm unsure about that fact, but I, I would like to settle it this evening. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that say, Preacher, I'm unsure of it. Let me ask you this then. How many of you say, Preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart. Maybe it's a reminder of character or maybe it's just that, that faith to continue to trust God. Trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. Maybe it's that glimpse into the behind the scenes of what was unfolding in Job's life as God used him. But you would say, hey, Preacher, the Lord has spoken in my heart this evening. Would you raise your hand as testimony and would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play as God has spoken to your heart. There's an invitation given and do business with the Lord tonight.